Is this on? Oh, the most amazing thing about Jeremy's testimony is obviously that Christ saved him. The second most amazing thing is that you listen to podcasts at three times speed. Have you ever listened to a podcast at three times speed? It's like gobbledygook. Um, anyway, I was struck by that as well. Um, <clears throat> today's the last Sunday of Advent, um, and Advent is the season of tension before we get to the celebration of Christmas. It's the week before your birthday, um, where you're just waiting for um, it to get there. Um, but by way of review, before Advent, we've been in this series called Overwhelmed But Overcoming, and we've been looking at all of these different things in life that um, take joy from us, take happiness from us, take life from us, and make it difficult to be faithful followers of Jesus. Um, Some of those things are things that we willingly bring into our lives, like greed and anger. Some of those things are things that just come onto us, like grief and loss. But however they get there, they rob joy and life from us, and they make it difficult to follow Jesus. Um, So as we've come into Advent, we've turned this to be about prayer a little bit. We've turned it on its head to, to talk about prayer, because prayer is one of the main means by which Christ is overcoming those things in our life. It's one of the main tools that we have that if if Christ is going to overcome these difficult obstacles in our life, prayer is one of the main means that we have to have that happen. Um, So when it comes to prayer, there are basically two options. Um, Either prayer works or prayer does not work. (laughs) Whether you're a believer or not, prayer either works or it doesn't. Um, and it's t- perfectly possible to be a religious person, to maybe even be a Christian, and basically have a worldview in which prayer doesn't work. That prayer is just a spiritual comfort. It's mostly for me. It's, it's not actually that I'm petitioning God to do something and he's going to reply by doing it. It's that um, when I pray, it's good for me. It's therapeutic. There's studies to this effect that regardless of who or what you're praying to, that that prayer is good for your brain, it's good for your mental health. Um, And so it's very possible to be a religious person and basically have a view that says, I can pray, but it's mostly for me. It's not that God's actually going to do anything. And on the other hand, it's also perfectly possible to be a religious, believing person and think that prayer does work, that when I pray, God listens and he answers and have a whole host of unbiblical ideas about what that means and why that happens and how it happens. It's perfectly possible to be a a Christian and say, yes, God, here's my prayers. He answers my prayers. And he does so on the basis of whether or not my faith is really strong. Or God answers prayers. Yes, he listens. And he does so as long as I don't have any real doubts. Or, Or God does listen to and answer my prayers. But he does so if I'm living well. As long as I'm, if I'm caught in some bad sin right now, he's probably not gonna listen. But if I'm doing pretty well, he's probably gonna listen. Or... God answers prayers if they're said in the right way, if I present myself to him in front of the right person, whatever it may be. All of those are pseudo-biblical ways that the Bible speaks about how God answers prayers. And yet, because they're only pseudo-biblical, they're actually heretical because they don't actually take into account the full breadth of Scripture. And so we're going to come to a... um, a passage, one of the passages that is tricky and that is often used for these pseudo-biblical understandings of why prayers are answered to ask the question, why does God answer prayers? How does he answer prayers? How does he receive our prayers? And one of the things we're going to see is that most often, oftentimes when we're praying, we're actually not praying in the name of Jesus, 
regardless of what we say, are actually praying in our own names. But that if we're going to be faithful prayers, people who aren't bitter and resentful towards the Lord for things that do or do not happen in our lives, we have to learn to pray in Jesus' name. We're going to look at that in three different ways, what it means to pray in our name, what it means to pray in Christ's name, and what it means to pray for the glory of God. So let me read our text this morning. We're going to John 14 and also into 15. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. Uh, But starting in John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Hasn't popped up yet. And the truth and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We're also going to jump into John 15, verses 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then jumping to the bottom of the chapter uh, in 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Lord God, as we read this text and as we seek to understand it, we are grateful that um, you are our Lord and you know what is best for us. We pray that you would open our minds to the teaching of your word and that it would affect our daily lives. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um. The verses that we just read are sometimes the kind of verses that you get to in the Bible. You're like, hold on, rewind. Let me read that again, make sure I understood that. Let me read my study note in my Bible because if he's saying what I think he's saying, he's saying something that is pretty radical because most of us, I know I do, and I think many of us, the knee-jerk reaction we have when we read verses 13 and 14 in chapter 14, and he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that my Father will be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We jump to, okay, so you're saying, if I ask for a car or a raise or this person to be healed, and then at the end I tag it with, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, you will do it. Is that what you're saying? I think that's most of our knee-jerk reactions. Um, And that opens up a huge rift because I end all of my prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And if he's saying, you're gonna, I'm going to answer all of your prayer requests if you pray that way, my batting average for prayers answered is way lower than it should be if that's the case. And so I read, we, read, we read more than just those verses because I, I want us to get a sense of the context of what Jesus is saying because it's important to what he's actually trying to communicate to us. 
Now, all of the verses that we read, and many more, chapters 14, 15, 16, and on, are really important passages in Scripture because in them, Jesus isn't just saying that he is a prophet, which he is a prophet. He speaks God's word. He doesn't just say he's a good guy, which he is a good guy. He's a righteous man. He doesn't just say, I am the way to God, which he is, and he does say that. But he goes on to say that, he tells the disciples that if they have seen Jesus, they have seen the Father. And if they've seen the Father, they've seen him. And he says that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And then he turns to the disciples and says, um, and also that you are going to, whoever believes in me, whoever has faith, whoever is united to me by faith, will do even greater works than I do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. What does that mean? Well, based on the context and what he says later in chapter 16, which he says this in verse 7 of chapter 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's saying, when I go to be with the Father, if you have belief in me, what's going to come to you? The Spirit. And so Jesus is doing something very radical in these verses. He's saying, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. What he does, I do. What I do, he does. And I will, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit by way of the Father to you so that you will be brought up in the works that I'm doing, which are also, by the way, the works of the Father, who's the one who sent the Spirit, and and on and on and on and on. And if it sounds like I'm saying something very circular and confusing, it's because I am, because this is the language of the Trinity. Jesus is describing the inner life of God. He's saying, I and the Father are one in the Spirit as well, and he, but he's sent from the Father and from the Son, and he's bringing you up into the works that I'm doing, which are the Father's. It's this crazy, whoa, 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 what's happening? This is the life of God, that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all distinct. He never blurs the line between their persons, and yet he's saying all of our works and who we are, we are one. We're one, but we're three, but we're three, but we're one. And something radical for us is that he's saying, in the spirit, I'm bringing you up into the very life of God. You're being united to God through faith in Christ by the work of the spirit. You're actually being brought into the life of God. That is astounding. Now, that's a lot of legwork that I just did to point out that Jesus is talking about the inner life of God. And they do it to make this point, which is that there is no way that Jesus is saying what we think he's saying about prayer. Um, you know, this year there have been two different major Pinocchio movies that have come out. Um, one is the live-action Disney remake, um, which is bad. Uh, don't need to watch that one. Um, the second one is, I've only watched the very beginning of it, but it's very good on Netflix. Um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's a stop-motion movie. Um, but I bring up Pinocchio because in the Disney movies, there's this kind of famous scene. At very early on, if you've seen the animated one, I really like the animated one, where Geppetto's made Pinocchio, and Pinocchio's laying on the workbench, and, and Geppetto looks out the window, and he sees this star, and he says, many of you know the line, starlight, star bright, um, first star I see tonight, I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I make tonight. Figaro, you know what I wish? I wish that my little Pinocchio might be a real boy. Wouldn't that be nice? Just think, a real boy. Um... I think that this is the kind of prayer relationship that many of us either wish we had with God or do have with God. This, this idea that if I could just pray the right prayer at the right time, 
You know, when you watch that scene, Geppetto is, he's just this lovely old man. He just has this one little wish. It's so, it's so humble and so sincere. We wonder if I could just pray to God in that posture, in the right way, he would hear it. He would have no choice but to come and make that wish happen. I think a lot of us think of prayer that way. If I could just get it just right. God would have to answer it. He says all these weird things about how I'm supposed to pray. If I could get it just right, I would get all my prayers answered. But in the same way that things don't really work out for Pinocchio and Geppetto in the movie, they, that would not really work out for us either. Um, there's two problems with viewing prayer in that way. as this thing that, that if I just posture myself right, he'd have to answer it. The first is, like I pointed out, it makes no sense of the context. Jesus is talking about the inner life of God and how the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all connected and how they're working us up to union with God himself. Why would he take a second to give you a life hack on how to get your prayers answered? It doesn't make any sense of the context. But second, and more importantly and probably more dangerously, If all Jesus is saying is that if you tag your prayers within my name and you pray in my name as opposed to in the name of the Father or if you pray in my name as opposed to the name of the Spirit, I will answer your prayer. If that's all he's saying, he's putting the works of the infinite God under the authority of a finite you. That your prayers can be answered simply because you got the posture or the words right. If praying in Jesus' name just means that he's going to answer your request, you have brought God under your own authority. And even if we set aside for a moment that you are sinful and you are broken, we need to at least recognize that even before the fall, before Adam and Eve fell, they still did not know everything that God knew. There was a distinction between them that God was infinite and they were finite, that he was the creator, that they were the creature that they didn't know all the things that God knew. And the same is true of you. Aside from your brokenness and fallenness, you are finite. You cannot see into the future. You can't see more than 10 seconds into the future. And so why would we think that what Jesus is saying is if you pray in the right way, no matter how selfish or unwarranted your request is, I will have to answer it. Why would we think that that's the case? And second, why would we want that? Why would we want our prayers to be answered no matter what? I mean, we think we are both limited and broken. And to think that I, we think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. We think we know what would be best for us. But the reality is you're broken. And even the good things that you do, the good things that you want, are often tainted by sin, are often tainted by selfishness. You want to do good so that you look good or you feel good. Even the, the good things you do are broken. And not only that, you don't really know what would be best for you. And so to assume that our prayers are without defect, without deficiency, and should be answered in a particular way simply because God loves us is to be ignorant of your sin, to be ignorant of your your finitude. So what Jesus is not saying about praying in his name is that he will not answer your request simply because you phrase it in the right way. And praise God. Because you and I don't actually know what would be best for us. So that's what praying in your name really is. It's praying in a line with what you want. But now what does it mean to pray in Christ's name? Um, Because our gut instinct of reading this text is wrong, so then what does it mean? Um, In my house, there are two, basically two different ways of shopping for things. Um, 
the Mariah way to shop for things is to, um, to look for things that are simple and functional and inexpensive, that work as we need to, but for the lowest price. My way of shopping for things is to look for the brand name that I like and get that thing. So if we're shopping for food and we're, oh, we should get a frozen pizza, it needs to be DiGiorno, three meat, rising crust only. If we're going to be getting syrup, it needs to be what used to be called Aunt Jemima, now pearl milling syrup, only that one. If we're going to be getting bins to store things in the house, they cannot be bins that we just found around the house or that we bought from various different stores. They need to be the same black and yellow, ugly, massive bins that all work together and fit together. And we only have those in the house because that's, that's what we need. That's how I shop. Is what, What's the name brand that fits right for me? Um, and I recognize those are not universally accepted um, lovely name brands. Most people don't even like DiGiorno pizza, I don't think. Um, But it doesn't matter because they're my name brands. They're the name brands that fit with what I like, what I prefer. Um, Other brands don't fit with my taste and my preferences. Um, And the truth is names are always representative of something. That no name is really just a label. That when you think of Apple, I mean, if we stay with brands, if you think of Apple or Nintendo, or whatever it is, for most of us, it's not just, an Apple doesn't just refer to a type of phone or a type of computer. You have lots of thoughts and emotions and feelings about Apple that are underneath that label. It's more than just a label. It's representative of something. And this is true of people, too. If you think of the people in your life, if you're married, think of your spouse. If you're not, think of your brother or your sister or your parents or your friends. Think about their name. Their name is not just a label. It's not just something that labels that person over there, her name is Mariah. Or that person over there, his name is Jake. It's not, it's not just a label. Underneath their name, it, their name is packed with meaning about who you know them to be. Their name is packed with an understanding of their essence. Um, and this is actually how the Bible speaks about names constantly that names are never just labels. They're always packed with meaning. And one of the most dramatic examples of that is when Moses meets God in a burning bush and God tells Moses that he needs to go to the Israelites and lead them out of Egypt. And Moses is nervous for a couple different reasons, but one of the things that he says to God is, how will I know if I go to them and I tell them all the stuff you've told me and they don't believe that I, we had this interaction how will they know? How, what sign can I give them that they'll know that I really came from you? And what does God say? He says, tell them my name. Tell them I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And Moses goes and does just that. Why? Because Moses and God understand that names are not just labels. Names bear meaning. Names tell us something about somebody. They tell us who they are. And so biblically, someone's name represents their essence, their true character, their values, their will. And this tells us that what it means to pray in my name means to pray in in line with, in accordance with my values, my character, my will. So Jesus is saying, pray in accordance with who I am. Pray in line with my character, my values, my actions. Pray in line with those. Pray for my essence to be seen in your life and in the life of others. Pray for it to be seen in the world. And this explains why so often our prayers are not answered in the way that we think because so often we're praying in our own name. 
We're saying, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Please do those. And we're praying in line with our character, our essence, our desires, our will. And we're not praying in the name of Christ. Even though we tag in the name of Christ at the end, what you really should say is, in the name of Jake, please give me these things that line up with my desires and my values. And we're, we're just asking God for things that line up with our sinful, limited character, sinful, limited values, sinful, limited will. This means that we've got to learn. If we're going to be people who pray faithfully, we've got to learn how to pray God's priorities before we pray ours. Um, Brian Chapel, one of um, Andrew and Brian's old teachers, a pastor at theologian, he, he says we should pray backwards. Pray God's priorities first. Don't pray them at the end. He doesn't mean that literally, but he points out the Lord's Prayer is structured in this way. You know, the Lord's Prayer has lots of things about give to us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. All these things about real life, but you know what comes before that? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the preamble before we get into give us this day our daily bread. Why? He's saying, great is your name, great are your priorities, great are the things that you want. By the way, I have some needs. Would, would you answer those? He's, he's front-loading, God, I know that you know what's best for me, and I'm going to pray for those things before I pray for the things that I think would be best for me. So Jesus is telling us to pray in his name, not because it has magical powers, not because his name is just more powerful than other names, but he's telling us to pray our priorities. Pray the priorities of God ahead of the priorities of you. Um, There's one more final crucial part we've got to understand about these verses if we're going to understand praying in Jesus' name, and that's also in verse 13, um, in which he says, Whatever you ask for in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do that, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So what is the, what is the purpose of God in answering these requests at all? It's always the glory of the Father in the Son. Anything you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. God's glory is always the end goal. And the glory, now, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is to see that all things in creation worship and honor God as they were intended to. For everything to cry out, like Jeremy said in his testimony, okay. <laughs> well, he gets down on the floor and says, okay, yeah, I get it. That's God's glory is to have all things fall down and say, yes, you are the one to worship and honor him as they were designed to in the beginning. And if we're expecting God to bring glory on himself, to have all things shout praise to him, we tend to expect that to happen in always openly positive ways. Obviously sweet, good, and rewarding ways. Um, however, James Boyce, who's a late great pastor and theologian, his last sermon before he died of cancer, he said this, and this was so impactful to me this week, He said, a relevant question when you pray is, pray for what? Should you pray for a miracle? Well, you're free to do that, of course. My general impression is that the God who is able to do miracles, and he certainly can, is also able to keep you from getting the problem in the first place. 
So although miracles do happen, they're rare by definition. A miracle has to be an unusual thing. Pray for wisdom for doctors. Pray also for the effectiveness of the treatment. Above all, I would say pray for the glory of God. And this is so important. If you think of God glorifying himself in history and you say, where in all of history has God most glorified himself? He did it at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it was not by delivering Jesus from the cross, though he could have. Jesus said, don't you think I could call down from my father ten legions of angels for my defense? But he didn't do that. And yet, that's where God was most glorified. You know, I know that there are several people in our church who are hurting, suffering in various ways. There's some that I know, and there's probably lots more that I don't know. And in those times, prayer is one of your most valuable resources, as you're probably starting to understand in ways that I, I probably don't even know yet. That prayer is one of your most valuable resources in those times. But you know, the ultimate prayer in the midst of suffering was offered by Jesus in the garden before he was betrayed by one of his friends and arrested and tortured and killed. And there, Jesus actually prays to God. He says, Abba, Father, please remove this cup from me. But not what I will, but what you will. I mean, that is remarkable. In that short little prayer, Jesus is doing two things. He's saying, first of all, God, please don't make me do this. Please don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. And on the other hand, saying, not what I will, but what you will. Your glory comes first. Your name comes first. Your priorities come first. And he's able to say both of those things in the same breath, in the same prayer. And we should read that and think, oh my gosh, how could anyone honestly pray that? How could anyone honestly, in one sense, say, God, please, please bring healing to this loved one. Pre- please, please save this person's life. And then at the same time say, but God, whatever you want to do, you should do. Whatever your priorities are, you should, you should make that happen. How can we do that? And the only way the only way to do that is, is to pray by looking at the cross and to reflect on exactly what that quote just said, which is that at the crucial moment, at the moment when it seemed like everything was done, God won his victory by allowing his son to suffer, by allowing his son to die. There is a really great book Um, that I would recommend to anyone called My Name is Asher Lev. I think some kids read it in school. Um, It's a story of this young boy who grows up in a Hasidic Jewish home, very, very conservative, and he has this just raw talent for painting, which is not something that's done in the community. And so through a a variety of different ways, he um, he comes to be allowed to paint, and he starts working on his abilities, but it comes at tremendous cost. Um, over the course of the book, his, his family life just deteriorates. He and his father have this just um, impassable uh, disagreement. And his mom and his dad's relationship starts to fall apart until the point that he's barely in contact with them um, at the end of the book. And at the end of the book, in the, in the last chapter, he has an art show. And he goes into it, and he's... he's a, um, the way that he's been painting. He's been painting how he's been feeling about his family falling apart. And he's still a practicing Jew. 
And what he's been painting, he knows it's heretical, but he paints the crucifixion. He paints multiple images of Christ on the cross. And this, this is what he says to his mom. For all the pain you suffered, my mama. For all the torment of your past and future years, my mama. For all the anguish this picture of pain will cause you. For the unspeakable mystery that brings good fathers and sons into the world and lets a mother watch them tear at each other's throats. For the master of the universe whose suffering world I do not comprehend. For dreams of horrors, for nights of waiting, for memories of death, for the love I have for you, for all the things I remember and for all the things I should remember but have forgotten. For all these I created this painting. An observant Jew working on a crucifixion because there was no aesthetic mold in his own religious tradition into which he could pour a painting of ultimate anguish and torment. And it's fascinating to me, this book is illustrating what we know as believers, which is that there is no way to make sense of suffering, there's no way to make sense of pain apart from the cross. That even, even this boy, he doesn't even believe in Jesus Christ and his salvation has a sense that there is no way for me to reconcile my pain, no way for me to reconcile my suffering, to live in it, to live with it apart from the cross of Christ. There's no way for me to understand it by saying that at the crucial moment that God wins a victory is through suffering. That it's at the cross that Christ wins the victory. That suffering, that God accomplishes his purpose, accomplishes his glory through suffering. It's the only way that I can make sense of the pain that has been in my life, the suffering that I'm going through. And as Christians, we need to be able to pray like that, to pray knowing that the glory of God has come through suffering. And that is the only way that we'll be able to reconcile the true difficulties that happen in life is to know that I know this is painful now, but look at what God accomplished through the death of his son. I know it was, it was painful then, but look at what's happened. He's, he's made a way. He's made a way for all of us. And so, pray for God's glory because he will accomplish his glory, but be aware that his glory may, may require suffering. And that's not at odds with his glory. So if we want to be faithful prayers who don't prioritize our desires, our wills, our values, above those of, of Christ. We need to learn to pray in Jesus' name. And that's not just lip service. It's not just starlight, star bright. Just God, here's, I have to say in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer. It's not just lip service. It's actually praying God's priorities ahead of your own. Um, I want to end with a, a, a quote from N.T. Wright as he was commenting on these verses. Um, and he says, in particular, verses 13 and 14, he says, when all this is understood, meaning all this about what it means to pray in Jesus' name, when all this is understood, we shouldn't go soft on that marvelous word, anything. Anything you ask in my name. Don't go soft on that marvelous word, anything. He said it, and he means it. You may be in the midst of confusion and anger and maybe even bitterness towards something that God is is doing in your life that you're praying and you're just not seeing God change it. And you're like, does God even care? Like, maybe I believe God's sovereign, but it seems like he doesn't care. Know this. You actually, all of us, probably have our sights too low. We actually 
don't fully yet recognize what, we don't know what, what God is doing. He's bringing all things to his glory. What God is doing in your life and in the world at large is better than what you would have in mind. I know that's hard to believe, but if we look at the cross, it was impossible. If you think of the disciples of Mary standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was killed, they must have thought, this is the end. This is the worst. And yet, that is exactly how the victory came. What God has in mind is better than what we have in mind. And so to pray in the name of Jesus is a way of saying, God, you have better things in mind than what I do. So here's my prayers. Here are my needs. I know you hear them. I know you care for me. But ultimately, I know that what you will is better for me. You know, God is in the diamond business. He's, um, I have a sister who's a geologist, and I'm sure she would correct me on this. But my impression is that diamonds are formed under intense pressure, intense heat, and intense time. And I think God is in the diamond business. He is forming us under intense pressure, intense heat, and time so that not only will we be beautiful, but that the light that shines from Christ, the light that shines from God will refract out of the diamonds back onto himself. He's making you into a beautiful thing so that he can make himself look even more beautiful. And so we've, we've barely begun to grasp what we will look like in our final state. We've barely begun to grasp what God will be like as we shine glory back onto him. But that is what God is doing. He is forming diamonds. And it is all for his glory and it's all better than we could imagine. So, let's pray. Father, we do believe that your purposes are better than ours. They are inscrutable to us in so many ways. We don't understand them. They frustrate us. And yet we do believe that your will is better than ours. And so, God, for all the suffering that's happening in our church or in our lives or the frustrations we have, God, we pray that you bring your kingdom first. And we ask that we be patient and we wait and watch for the way that you will work things for good in our lives. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, This is the time in our service where we um, have an offering. Um, please give to the work of the church. Um, This is how we make...